This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, we're back, and it's good to be with you again. Um, We're continuing in our study through the Old Testament little letter, the little book of Ruth. It is filled with great symbolism of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the Gentile church, which is myself, I'm a Gentile. It is also a great love story. It begins with a tragedy, with a wrong turn. And, and now we're at the point now where this, um, this love story is really taking shape. And today we're going to talk about the proposal, at least the way it was done back in those days. Um, <clears throat> we finished off uh, with um, Ruth going down to the threshing floor, uncovering Boaz's feet, staying there. This is Naomi's instructions. The mother-in-law saying, wait there, and he'll tell you what to do. Whatever he says, you do it. And there was nothing kinky, nothing sexual about it. This was pure, and it was normal operating procedures. So we're going to pick up now in uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. And verse 6 says, So she went down to the threshing floor. So she's obeying what Naomi told her. And last week's message will tell you, if you missed it, it'll tell you what this threshing floor is all about. And did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. That's interesting because last week we paralleled John chapter 2 where Jesus' mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now we see Naomi telling Ruth, who is a servant serving in the field, whatever Boaz, who is a picture of Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. It's a great, great parallel. I really like that a lot. But here's the deal. <clears throat> the, first, the first truth I want to bring out. Does Boaz care for Ruth? Yeah, I think the evidence is there. But no matter how much he cared for Ruth, in this instance, he had to wait on her move. Just like Jesus with us. Does Jesus care about every human on the planet? Does he love everyone? Oh, yeah. But you know he had to wait on your move, huh? He had to wait on my move. In fact, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus for the longest time. Until finally, I made my move. And he was patiently waiting. And as I made my move to him, he was just waiting with open arms. Now let me tell you what that means. Um, Because it's got some ramifications. Jesus will never force us to love him. Because if you're forced to love, that is not love. Last week, I alluded to quickly, because every time I read this part of the story, I think of the movie Titanic. When young Rose is being forced by her mother to love the real rich guy. But she doesn't. Because you can't force love. And she falls in love with Jack, you know. Because, see, love is a choice. And that's what it boils down to. Ladies, um, it's like this. Not, you know, you can't force love. You ever been pursued by a, a man, good man, decent guy, but you just didn't really love him, right? I mean, may have had all the good things about him, but you didn't love him. Can you be forced to love him? Is that love? And the answer is no. And of course, you tell him the one thing that guys never want to hear, I just want to be your friend. <laughs> but... But the truth is you, you cannot force anyone to love. Because see, um, love, true love, God's highest ethic, which is love, always has built into it 
a choice. That's why, um, you know, when people bring up such questions as, you know, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin, why, why did he do that? Why, did he, why didn't he stop them? Why didn't he do this? Because love always demands a choice. It has to have it. Otherwise, you and I are just robots. That's all we end up, and that's, that's not living. That's not life. That means we wouldn't even be here. We're, there's robots roaming around. But true love has to have a choice. <clears throat> See, um, when people make the statement that why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, think of their statement because there's built into that an incorrect assumption. The assumption built into that is that um, people go to hell against their will. Not true. Their question was, why would a loving God? See, because God is love, God never forces anyone against their own will. They choose to go there. You get to choose. That's what love is all about. You could carry that ethic all the way out and answer a lot of the uh, questions that people would throw at you and I uh, about God, and it all boils down to that God is love, and love always demands a choice. It never forces. Boaz had to wait for Ruth to make the move the same way Jesus, who loves us so much, had to wait for us to make a move to him because he will never force love because if he forces it, then that is not love. Now, the second thought I want to bring out is this. She goes to the threshing floor. We've described what the threshing floor is uh, last week. Now think about that threshing floor. She's been there before. She worked all day and night in that field. She was gleaning. She was gleaning, separating wheat from chaff. She was gleaning. And so now she comes back to that threshing floor where she gleaned for herself. But now it's here on that threshing floor that she moves from gleaning for herself, listen, to giving of herself. Ah, in that same place, she now moves from gleaning for herself to giving of herself. Hey, Christians, or anybody really, whether you're fall of Christ or not, isn't that maturity? When you finally move from, it's not about you, it just can't be always about you. It, it's about how can I love others and how can I help and how can I serve and how can I do? How can I give of myself? I told you last week, don't even bother getting married if you're not going to give of yourself, if you're not willing to give your whole life to one person for the rest of your life. <clears throat> Let me talk to Christians for a second. The Christians that you seem to hop around churches every couple years or maybe every month now you're getting to that place now. Can I just talk to you for a second? If you are still coming to church with the attitude of what can this place do for me? You know, you're always going to hop around. Because at some point, I don't care what the church is, they're not going to be able to give you everything that you want. And therefore, you'll never be happy with any church because it's about you. But if you move from being a child in the faith to a mature person, it is no longer what can it do for me. 
I come in and how can I give of my life to help her here? That's called maturity. And when you change the focus like that of your life, you're not looking for reasons to leave. You're looking for opportunities to give. You're not looking for reasons to leave. You're looking for opportunities to give. You take that mentality, put it in your marriage, put it in a relationship. It works perfectly there also. There's no place that's perfect. And there's no church, no pastor, no anyone going to meet all your needs. not going to happen. My gosh, you can't even meet all the needs of your spouse or anybody around you. So come on, quit putting everybody on a higher expectation that you could even meet yourself. Turn from a taker to a giver. I guarantee your life is going to get a lot better and you will mature in Christ. Now, I want to show you something about that whole idea there. Turn to 2 Samuel, <clears throat> a little bit uh, to your right. 2 Samuel chapter 24. And this is where David wants to buy a field eventually where the Temple Mount's going to be in Jerusalem. Some of you have visited there with uh, trips. But David is going to buy that field. And look at verse 21. He goes to a man named Arona. Um, I think that's how you pronounce him. That's why I pronounce him. And he wants to buy this man's field. This is where the Temple will be. Watch 21 to 24 of 2 Samuel 24. Then Arona said, Why has my lord the king come to this servant? See, you know, David, why are you here? And David said, To buy the threshing floor. We know threshing floor is up on a hill, flat mound on the top. By the threshing floor from you. So the temple that exists right now was built upon what used to be a threshing floor. Isn't that interesting? In order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. Because there is a plague right now plaguing the people at the time. Ariuna said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look. The oxen for burnt offering, the threshing sledges. Remember the sleds, the threshing sledges? And the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Ariuna gives to the king. And Ariuna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. He said, I'll just give it to you. It's for God. However, verse 24, the king said to Ariuna, David said, Whoa, 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 no. But I will surely buy it from you for a price. And the famous lines, For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the auction for 50 shekels of silver. What a great line. It's, it's maturity. I'm not walking around to trying to see what God can do for me all the time, what I can get for free from church and this and that and every other person on the planet. No. I'm going to give to God. I'm not going to live a cheap faith. I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to be a taker only. Does the church bless you? Does it give? Yes, it, it invests in you spiritual things. But be a giver of your life. Be a servant. You know, one of my big concerns is during the COVID pandemic that people are getting lulled into isolation. That you're not going to come back and serve. It's a real, real concern. We're getting used to mailing it in now. And that's not what the Bible teaches. we got to wake up out of whatever thing we're going to get lulled into possibly and get back into this thing when things open up. Because that's what faith is all about. Now, she's coming to, to give her life. She once gleaned for herself in the field and now she's come to give of herself. She's this maturity. Now, back to Ruth, 
chapter 3, look at verse 7. It says, when Boaz had eaten and drunk. Remember she said, let him eat first. Don't mess with him when he's eaten. That was wisdom last week. And his heart was merry. Because you see, the harvest is in. This is the time of resurrection of Jesus in the future. But it's time, it's first fruits. It was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So he goes down, there's the big old mother load of grain. The harvest is in and he's eating a good dinner and he's happy. And she came secretly. Here comes Ruth. That was Ruth sneaking up, okay. Uh, she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. The way Naomi told her, here's what you do, wait till he's asleep, go uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. So she's following uh, directions. Now, <clears throat> here, here's what I want to point out because it's a really cool principle, I think. Boaz, he sleeps next to the harvest, next to his mound of grain, of wheat, barley. Why? Those are his assets. It's his income. He sleeps next to it because this is the time of the judges. If you read Judges, you know that one of the reoccurring ideas there is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Dangerous, dangerous place to be for a country to be that way. When we reject God, and do what's right in our own eyes. Romans 1 says, in that respect then, man's mind, his reason is darkened. Ignorant of divine things. And then the, there's a whole bunch of consequences to that. He's sleeping by his assets because, well, for the same reason we had to put bars, gates, at the parking lot of our church here. And other churches had to. Thieves. They'd come in, they'd break in, some would pull their trucks around back, go upstairs. We had to put the bars on the back building. They'd break the door, grab as much stuff as they can, go down the steps, put in the truck, and, and haul out of here. They'd come into the sanctuary, they'd break in, we'd catch them on the inside cameras. They're stealing and out fast. That's why we had to put the bars up. Cameras, everything. A church. Right? Who steals from a church? People do. We live in a society that's vastly losing its morality. See, the, the step from idolatry to morality is like this short. Man makes himself God. Man decides what he thinks, does what is right in his own eyes. And it's just a devolving of immorality. And there we see it now. But let me tell you, he's guarding his assets. You know who I think the number one person you got to guard your assets from? Yourself. For me, it's myself. You got to be wise with your money. You don't need to buy everything that you want. You got to be wise and invest your money. You got to think about the long term. Too many people just think about the short term. I want that. I want that. I want that. And of course, you buy things, they depreciate fast, and you get nothing out of them for the most part. Guard your assets. You see, one, if you ever listen to um, commercials, listen to what they're telling. Listen to what they're trying to pop in your mind. And this is why you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and let this be your guide. The commercials, some of them will say, <clears throat> this has been going on for a while, they pitch their product 
and you're like, that looks really good, you know, because Eve looked at the fruit, it was a delight to the eyes. We look at the commercial, oh, that car, or that this, or that, that, oh, it's a delight to the eyes. They understand those things. And then they pop the question, <clears throat> you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it. And you say, I do deserve that. Let me tell you something, you, maybe you do deserve it, I don't know. That doesn't mean you need to buy it. That doesn't mean you need to, to use your hard-earned money to get it or to even to go in debt in that. You follow? You, you catch my drift on that one? You want to be wise. He's sleeping right there with the mound of barley because he's guarding his assets. Guard your assets. You know why? I'm going to show you a verse that we use many times. Whenever we talk on finances, we have to, always have to share this verse. Very wise man, Solomon spoke it. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 7. Proverbs 22, 7 says this. <clears throat> Oops, I went too far. What am I thinking? Proverbs 22, 7 says, it says, the rich rules over the poor. Don't ever forget that. And the borrower becomes a lender's slave. You say, oh, those rich people. Stop. Would you just stop that? You'd like to be them, so stop it. They're smart. They know how to use money. They know how to use money to make money. They know how to create jobs. And if you're not smart, then you'll never get to be one of those people. And rich is relative. But if you're not wise with your money, if you, know, if you don't guard your assets, there it is. You'll always be the lender's slave. You'll always be a slave to whoever's lending you the money. That's not the way to live. Make the right decisions and watch what God does. Because remember, God is your God. He's the, he holds it all in his hands. If you follow his principles, in every way, including finances, watch what God can do. And quit complaining. And watch what God can do. Okay? Hopefully that helps some of you right there. Now, <clears throat> back to um, Ruth chapter 3. Now, what did she say in verse 7? Very important line, she says. Catch him in a good mood. <laughs> Isn't that wise? In other words... You know, when his heart is merry, you know, that's when you want to do this thing here. You know, some of us, you got to think. Don't approach people when they're in a bad mood or you could see their disposition is off that day. You know, it's like use a little bit of wisdom. Wait a little bit. You know, be wise. Now, she uncovers his feet because they're going to get cold. It's going to wake him up. And she lays down there just the way um, Naomi told her. Now, verse 8. It happened in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, that the man was startled and bent forward. He sits up. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Can you imagine? What? There's a lady laying down on my feet. Now, <clears throat> she gets his attention. Now, he doesn't know who she is yet. She'd been waiting there all night. And now it's the middle of the night. And he wakes up. Wait a minute. She'd been waiting there all night. 
And now it's the middle of the night. And she wakes up. You have to kind of wonder. Were there any other maids that possibly caught his eye? But they're back asleep and wherever they're at. But Ruth is the one that came out there. Ruth is the one that said, I want to open my heart to you and give my life to you for the rest of my life. <laughs> she was awake and waiting. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a great story. And it's an impacting story of the ten virgins. And they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. They don't know what time he's coming. Then it gets dark. They've been waiting there a while. Five of the virgins, they didn't bring any extra oil for their lamps. And now it's dark and they have no light. The other five were wise. And they brought extra oil. And the ones who didn't, who are the unwise, they go, please give us some of your oil. And the ones who were wise say, no, if I give you some of mine, then my light will go out. So the five unwise ones, what do they do? They take off to the store to go buy some extra. And while they're gone, guess who shows up? The bridegroom. And they miss it. He opens the door. The five that were wise with extra oil, they kept their light burning. They get to go in. The door is shut. A little bit later, the five unwise ones show up and they're knocking. Please, let, let us in, let us in. And they go, no. I, then the words are like this, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. See, it's a very, very sobering story that you and I as followers of Christ, we need to be alert. We need to keep our fires burning. We need to keep practicing our spiritual disciplines so that we have light, walk in the light. Because the time is coming when no man can walk in light on this earth. We don't want to miss out. Stay awake, be alert. Ruth is out in that field. And she's out there and she's lying there waiting. And so when he wakes up, the door's going to open to her. The door's going to open to her. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. She's at his feet, just like Mary of Mary and Martha, who sat at Jesus' feet. She's chosen the best thing, it says, to listen and be taught at the feet of Jesus, to pray at the feet of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> don't fall asleep. We know somebody who fell asleep, huh? Tragic, tragic results, and that's Samson. He fell asleep. He lost the fire of God. He lost the light of God. And in fact, it says, a tragic verse says in Judges 16 that he, um, I think it's 1621, he says that he did not know the Lord had left him. That's bad. He fell asleep. And of course, we know the consequences of that. Stay awake, my friends. Stay awake. Stay at the feet of Jesus. Let the fires keep burning of Jesus. Now, back to uh, Ruth chapter 3 and look at verse 9. He said, now, he doesn't know who she is. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. He says, who are you? <laughs> and she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. And then she says, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Oh, there's the Goel again. You're the near relative. You're the kinsman redeemer. But she calls him a close relative. All right? <clears throat> now, I like it's funny, it's comical, it's innocent. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Ruth. <laughs> and remember, there's nothing sexual about this. There's nothing sexual about it. And notice what she says. 
Would you first, would you please spread your covering over me because I am a widow and you're the close relative? Mm. Let's rehearse now what is actually happening. Let's go to Deuteronomy 25. What is she asking for? What is this whole scenario playing out to? We've, done, we've seen it before. Let's see it again. Jesus even was asked a question about this in the New Testament uh, as they try to trick him into something. But watch, um, verse, uh, chapter 25 and verse 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy, it says, When brothers live together, and one of them dies and has no son, and the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. That's happened to her. She married a man. They had no kids. She's not to be married outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her to himself as a wife and perform the duty of a husband, of a husband's brother to her. As to raise up uh, a son to the dead brother for the inheritance, etc., 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 Verse 6, it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother. See, you carry on his name. That his name may not be blotted out from Israel. This is what's going on here. See, her husband died. That was the beginning of the story. And Jewish law said the next, the close relative, typically would be the, the brother. He would marry her and have a son and they, that, neck, that son would be named after that dead brother, and he'd carry on the name. Well, both of those brothers died because they were married to these two girls, and they're all dead. And so now they got to look for the Goel, the nearest kinsman. And the nearest kinsman, according to their thinking right now, we'll find out later, it's not, he's not the nearest of near, um, <clears throat> it's Boaz. So when she goes there, she says, put your covering over me, redeem me, she's basically proposing, marry me, Boaz. Marry me. Spread your covering over me. That's what she's doing. Now, let me show you what's so cool about this. She says, cover me. Spread your covering over me. I like that. There's a lot of symbolism and reality to it. Do you remember when Adam and Eve said, and they, you know, they tried their best to cover up and form their new image and, you know, hide out and shame comes in and they blame and they're angry and they're afraid and everything else. You know, really dysfunctional relationship after you sin. But it says that God took animal skins. So the assumption is that God had to kill an animal. And he takes animal skins to cover them properly. The word cover is the idea of the word atone. Now you see the picture? He's going to cover her. He's going to atone her, redeem her. Once a year, the high priest would go into the temple, into that holiest of holies, and before the temple was the tabernacle. He'd take the animal's blood. Now he had to be right before God. And uh, he'd take the blood in there, and he'd sprinkle it. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, sprinkle that blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the propitiation Jesus was. But he was taking the animal blood before Jesus ever came. And he goes out and he says, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Now in the Old Testament, there's, it says God winked at sin, meaning he closed his eye, meaning he just covered it. And then she's saying, cover me. But in the New Testament, Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He doesn't cover sin with his blood. He cleanses sin away with his blood. He takes it the furthest step and he cleanses it all away. And he redeems us, meaning he purchases us from the, from the slave market to set us free forever. He justifies us, declares us innocent of all sin. And he begins to operate in our life. And we're part of the bride of Christ. And that's, in one symbolic sense, what we the saying, redeem me, cover me, atone for me. It's a proposal of marriage. But it's like, save me. Please save me. For us in the New Testament, symbolically, but literally, truthfully, it'd be like this. Hebrews 10, 17. Hebrews 10, 17. How did Jesus cover us? He didn't cover us. He cleansed us from all sin. And that's why Hebrews 10, 17 says this. It says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In other words, God's never going to bring up our sins again. And when God forgives our sins, they cannot be unforgiven. Say that with me. When God forgives my sins, they cannot be unforgiven. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You've been forgiven and he remembers them no more. That's why when Satan comes up and says, well, you're this and you're this and you're that and you're that, you go, what are you talking about, man? I've been forgiven. God doesn't remember my sins anymore. See, you need to know the truth. And that is the truth right there. Now, uh, back in, in uh, Ruth chapter 3, the big if. Let's finish with this. It's the big if. Will Boaz accept the proposal? That's the big if, right? Now I want you to think. Here's a la- your last thought. <clears throat> Is Boaz wealthy? Yeah, pretty much. Successful? You better believe it. Jewish man? Mm-hmm. Is Ruth Jewish? Mm-mm. Is she bankrupt? Mm-hmm. Does she have anything financially to bring to the table? No. <laughs> She's already been dependent on this guy gleaning in the field. But do you see the picture? It's us with Jesus. We're bankrupt. What can we possibly do to save ourselves? Nothing. Nothing. What can I do to redeem myself? Nothing. What can I do to wash away my sins? I can't. I can't wash away my sins. I'm bankrupt before God. And so the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus, it's like saying, put your covering over me. But more than that, you cleanse away my sins. You atone for me. You're the perfect sacrifice because I'm bankrupt. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, blessed are those who acknowledge that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. Because once they acknowledge that, put their faith in Jesus, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now they move from darkness to light. From death into life. I like that. We're going to stop right there, and next week we'll pick up at verse 10, okay? So you guys have a great day. God bless you, and hopefully this blessed you tonight. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.